Good morning. Yes. Like it's been a little while since I was here. I'm like it's often the way it is. We're uh, as a family, all, all but Karen is here. Just thankful to be here. Thankful to be able to fellowship with you all and share a big day with you. I just uh, recognize it is a big day. It's. Uh, I think. Uh, Larry and Elvin both spoke of fear and trembling. I uh, was thinking about that a little bit. You know, in Acts 6, there was a need. You know, we have that, that need there. There was the, the widows that were being ignored, and, and uh, there was a need. And so the, the church was asked, well, would you choose out some men? And they said, yes, and... And it pleased them. That's the way it says it. It actually pleased them to do it. And, you know, I think about that need. Somebody just said right before, uh, before meeting, they said to me, you know, it'd be nice if we could just, it's going along fine. Why do we have to change? You know, yet I think he was acknowledging the change needed to happen. And I, I remember that well. Oh, in the years leading up to my ordination, uh, I remember Brother Chris it was at least three times, and I don't remember exactly how they all went, but each time he would say, we need to have an ordination here. And, uh, and I would say, no, no, we're, we're getting along fine. You know, we've got, got three men, they're, you're doing well. And, but it was, on the, it was on the third time, I think by that time he'd let some other people know that we needed to happen, and, and I said, yeah, let's do it. It needs to happen. And it did. Of course, I was seeing that freight train coming my way, and, and maybe some of you brothers might feel they might be headed your way. I don't know. But I was, I was sensing that the need was there, and I guess somebody, somebody has to do it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. It's not a have to. There's a will. There's a desire. There's a call in it. And uh, so today, we're, the message will be titled... A good minister of Jesus Christ, and you're going to see, you're going to see where that title comes from in just a little bit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time, this this occasion of being together with this congregation. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with us together, that your spirit would move, that it wouldn't just be words. Lord, take away that trembling, take away the the fear and and uh, Allow the Word of God to, to just wash and, and settle over this congregation, O oh God. That there would be peace here, there would be instruction, there would be the sense that truly God is here and moving, and it's not a, a bad time, but it is a good time. A time that we can look back someday and, and, and realize that God did move, and it was your choice. Lord, we do choose, but it is ultimately your choice. It is the Holy Spirit who calls. And as Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So, Lord, give us your unction today. Lord, just uh, give us clarity of mind, all of us together. Lord, this would be a, a time of refreshing, a time of learning, a time of growing, Time rejoicing in the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. 
I'll move this down a little bit. It seems like I'm getting a lot of backfire there. My, uh, my voice tends to go both directions, it seems like. You can just open in your Bible to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. That's where we'll be going. As I think about uh, this message, I was trying to think, well, why would, why would we have a message today? before we have a choosing for an elder. And you know, a good part of my message will apply mostly to one of you that will be chosen today, hopefully ordained next week, Lord willing, and probably applies to the elders in the room and maybe the deacons in the room. So why do we have a general message? Why don't we just set them down and, and speak to them? And I thought of three different reasons why. The first, rest, mess, the first reason why is so that you know whoever you are, whoever God chooses today, know what is expected of you. You know, some, somewhere, possibly today, you'll get a phone call or, or the brothers will come over and they'll ask you, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to take on the charge? And you need to know what, your, what the expectations are. The reason why we talk to the congregation in general is that, that you need to know also that so you can make a wise, Holy Ghost-filled, biblical choice so that you can speak not just your opinions, not just your prejudices, but truly what God has been speaking to you in your closet in the last weeks. You need to be able to speak that. And, it, and of course, the Spirit never disagrees with the Word of God, so We'll be having a lot here from the Word of God. So it helped you to choose. And also, the reason why we speak to the congregation is so that you have right expectations. You know, when it comes to elders, you know, sometimes the congregation has a wrong expectation of their elders. You know, we, we expect something of them that God isn't expecting of them. So the congregation needs to have a, a Bible-based expectation of what God is calling elders to. So this is a good time just to have a good teaching on, on elders and uh, what their call is. And also, as I was thinking about it, maybe everyone in the room that will be giving your voice today have just settled in your heart. Maybe in the past weeks it's just been, it's just come clear. You're just there and you're ready. But often what happens at times like this, there is a few of you who just are all, even now, still not decided. And so hopefully, in just having the Word of God just ex- opened up and, and explained and taught, maybe it would just help to just settle your hearts on a choice. You know, obviously, I know the hearts of Larry and Elvin, and I know they would like to see just a real clear voice come forth from this congregation. So that would be the other possibility, the other reason why. You know, as I think about ordinations, you know, I was involved years ago in one uh, that actually ended up being a divide, a divisive time in the church. You know, the man that was chosen through a lot of, it's kind of a long story that we don't need to go into, but he was chosen and I think it was hardly six months later, he packed his bags and left and took off. And so the church just kind of collapsed uh, pretty much right away after that. And so the, you know, some of what we're, we're here to do is, is to bring forth 
wisdom. You know, bring forth a, a good, a good direction as we go forward today. You know, I can't do a lot today. As one of the things that I really was laid on my heart, I believe it was this morning, is how that you know I can I can speak a whole hour today, and I probably will. I might go a little longer, and I can only do so much. The foundation has been laid over the past twenty years at Zion Christian Fellowship. You know, Larry and Elvin and Earl have been speaking and preaching and teaching and leading and being examples, and so a lot of what the congregation has is what it has. And, you know, somebody said it's kind of a, almost a nasty thing to say, but, you know, somebody said it many years ago, and it's true. Congregations get the leaders they deserve. You know, that's, that's often the way it is. You know, what, what is there is what's there. You know, uh, churches, governments, nations get the leaders they, that, that come forth from what's there. And so we often get what we deserve. And my, I have a strong sense it's going to be a good, a good thing. I think we're not talking about a, a, a bad situation coming, but a good one. But I just really felt humbled today as I realized that, you know, I can only do so much with one message. And so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was thinking about ordination over oh, the last, probably the last month, ever since I knew I was going to be here. And... Just thinking about the responsibility, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later on, the, the life change that it is. And one of you brothers and your wife and your children is going to have your life drastically changed. And I had no idea. I know I had no idea. I was, I was, I had a little leadership in the church before that, uh, before I was ordained. I'd done quite a lot of preaching up till then. And I can tell you, that I had no idea just how engulfing it would become over time. And it's so, it's, it's big, but it's beautiful. It's a good thing. You know, I, I remember feeling very heavy. Leonard Martin come to preach for us during that time. And, and I was feeling very heavy. I was just feeling very loaded down. And, and uh, he reassured me that he loved it. He, he enjoyed the ministry. You know, I was beginning to wonder. It looked pretty, the way he was presented, it sounded like a, sounded like a hard thing. How can you enjoy such a thing? But he does, and that gave me some courage. And I can give you that, you know, there's parts of it I don't enjoy, I'll admit it. But there's an awful lot of it that is truly, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not fun like going camping. It's more, it's more joy. It's, you feel it's a very fulfilling work. In the end of it, you know you're doing something that, God is calling you to do. It's a good thing. I would like to read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, a part of it. Uh, ask, well, somewhere along the way in the last while, ask uh, Elvin, where would you like me to go on this morning? And I was kind of gave him a, a, you know, kind of some general ideas. Want me to speak to the congregation? You know, want to speak to the wives? You know, I knew that I think I'd had the impression, I believe Leonard came and, and it's already spoken, so I asked him, well, what, which direction you would like me to go? I don't know what, what's already being taught here. And he sent me just a short text and it said, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 12 through 16. Well, I don't know that anybody ever has done that before, just gave me a set of verses to preach from, but it actually kind of helped. It sort of brought it to you know, a big subject down to a, a simple subject, but I want to start 
at the sixth verse, because the sixth verse is where I'm going to get my title. The sixth verse of the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read through, and we'll focus a little bit on the sixth verse, and then we'll go to the twelfth through the sixteenth, primarily. So let's read this together. I'll read, and you follow along closely. I find that following along in the Scriptures help us to focus our minds. If... Thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. And this is a sound doctrine that he's been explaining up till now. Put them in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. There's my title. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse. Timothy, refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is a Savior of all men, especially of those who believe, that believe. These things command and teach. Paul is speaking to a preacher, teacher, elder, Pastor, bishop of a church. This is what you need to do. Twelfth verse, let no man despise thy youth. And I'm suspicious that, that is the, the, this phrase is probably what Elvin had in mind when he gave me this passage. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Be an example of the believers in word. There's six things here. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith. In purity, till I come, Paul's coming back, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And them that hear thee. That's a lot there. That's a lot there. I'd like to cover that uh, as briefly as possible. I, uh, I tend to go, I tend to overstudy and I end up with a message where I had to cut out. Even yet this morning I was taking out Portions that just do not have time for. And just a, it's, a, it's an amazing passage. We're going to start out in the sixth verse. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up. This is a phrase I want you to really focus on. Look carefully. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy. I want you to be nourished in the same thing you are nourishing others with. You know, the Word of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the, the salvation that you are nourishing others with, you better also be nourishing yourself with. You know, I think about the passage in, in uh, Psalm 48 that was read this morning. Walk about Zion, you know, mark her, her battlement center and look at her palaces and so that what? So that you can tell your children. You know, you have to experience it. You have to be there. 
Don't just read about it in a book. Don't just let somebody tell you, but actually go and experience it so that when you tell your children, you're speaking from what you know. So Paul is telling Timothy, get get real with God because you're going to be nourishing people the same thing as nourishing you. You know, as I think about the about that passage, nourishing whereunto thou hast attained. Whatever, you know, you, you can't take your congregation much farther than you yourself go, and I'm finding that to be very true. You know, one of the ways that I would put it down is I wrote it down, find your own spiritual nourishment in the truth you are called to preach. You know what, I think one of the great problems, and I maybe other pastors don't have that problem, but sometimes I spend so much time preparing messages that I forget that my soul needs to be fed. And yet it's exactly opposite of, of what needs to happen. I'm my soul, first of all, fed so that I have something to give. Because it's not just words. It is God's Spirit working in me. You know, I, my wife said, are you ready? And I said, well, if the Spirit of prophecy comes upon me. And I don't know how other preachers are, but I know sometimes standing in front of the, behind the pulpit, it just isn't coming. I've studied it. I've got the Bible. I haven't forgotten my notes. But... Spirit of prophecy is not there. I have to be nourished up. More than points for the pulpit. It's, we're not just going there, Timothy. We don't just study the Word for points to make from your pulpit. But food for your own soul. You must first be taught. The Word of God must first move you, the preacher, before you can expect it to move your congregation. You know, how many times... Uh, I remember in my old setting where I came from, I remember telling my wife sometimes, if he's not excited about the message, why should I be? You know, just, you know, just if the word's not moving, the, the, the pastor is certainly not going to move the congregation. You know, we have to be nourished up with the word so they can nourish others because, because that it is connectedness, the, the preacher's connectedness. The elder's connectedness to God is far more important than his eloquence. Far more important than how he says it. I remember one of the, one of the preachers I sat under for a number of years was a stutterer. He was a stammerer. He was a man that struggled for words. He had come from a German background. I think that made it even worse. He couldn't often find the English words that he wanted. But there was something in the power of his message that just continued Sunday after Sunday to move congregations. I watched it happen. Be connected. One of the things they might be saying there, you know, as I thought about how to, how to illustrate this, you know, one of you will be called out, Lord willing, this, this, over this week. And, you know, hopefully you've been in the Word. Hopefully each morning you get the Bible out and, and you read a passage and maybe, maybe read a little a part of a song and you pray. Maybe you bring a little word to your family and, and family devotions. Praise the Lord. But you know, if you're going to carry water for yourself, you don't have to carry nearly as much water as you do if you're carrying for a whole village. You know, if a man's carrying a lot of water, it's because he's got a lot of people that need to drink. So someone in this congregation is going to be called to not just carry water for yourself, but you're going to have to carry water for the whole congregation here at Zion Christian Fellowship. So there's going to be a lot more time spent in the Word. Drawing water. Drawing water. As Leonard Gunther said one time, he said, you know, you've got to go to the bakery pretty often because you've got bread to bake. I thought that was an interesting illustration. 
So, yes. In 2 Timothy 2.6, it says, The husband that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. You know, if you're going to, you have to, you have to be partaking. You know, you go out into the, into the field hungry. You need to labor, and yet there's nothing in your belly. You're going to be weak. There needs to be, you need to be filling up the belly there with, with the Word of God. I'm going to skip. We're going to cover some of that uh, 7 through 11 just kind of in passing. I'm going to jump immediately then down to the 12th verse. Let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example. Be an example of the believers. Of the believers. And we'll break that down into those six points. But I would just like to start there for just a moment. Why, is, why does he say that? Let no man despise the youth. I thought maybe that would be a, a different word. You know, I looked it up in the Greek, and that's a pretty good translation right there. You know, we can look down on someone because they're younger than we are. You know, I know it took a little while, and I'm not sure it's completely over, but, you know, just being new. I'm not so terribly young when I was ordained, but just being new, you know, it took a little while, especially for some of the older men, to just accept the fact that, you know, there's a new, there's a new elder to, to reckon with and to, to work with, and it's slowly coming. But don't let men, don't let men despise thy youth. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. You know, we, you know, the, the, of course that happens. You know, youth is often, you know, a little bit suspicious. You know, too bad about the youth, but it does take a while to build that level of respect and, and reputation and track record where you begin to just be, be seen as someone that can be depended on and steady and a solid person. So the question is, let no man despise thy youth. You know, okay, you can't despise me. Stop that. No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. By being an example. How are you going to stop people from, from looking down on the fact that they're young except by rising to the occasion, becoming, you know, I put it down here this way, silence criticism with conduct. You know, the, you know, silence the people who are looking down on you by being an example. And it goes on, you know, we read that, um, it says here that I profiting in the 15th verse may appear to all. You know, after a while, you know, it's just, you know, it might be grudging, but after a while, just, you know, I have to just admit this, this man is someone I can look up to, even though he's 20 years younger than I am. You know, I remember that when I was uh, uh, in a church setting one time, there was a young man, he was only 17 years old. And, you know, he was a solid young man. He was a man that, that actually was in charge of his dad's business at 17. And he was a man that measured his words. He was very careful. He carried himself with with dignity. He was very careful to, to not do foolish, childish things. You know, when he spoke, even at his brother's meeting, everybody just stopped and listened at 17. You know, that can happen. But it's, it takes someone who's, who's dedicated to that process. It's not easy. Don't let men despise thy youth. Look down on. You know, I was, uh, when I was a boy growing up, there was a man, his name was Clem Skiles. He was a large man. He had a big head. He just had one of these, he had a thunderous, sonorous, deep voice, a big barrel chest. And he was a man of influence. In that setting, you know, he was the foreman of the standing committee of the, you know, kind of the big 
big church meeting we had, and he was a man known for his authority. He was a man known for his for his wisdom. You know, people loved to have him come and help with church trouble. He had just had a had a way with men, way with people. But you know, the story I always grew up with was that when he was ordained, he was very, very young. He was just, I don't think he even had children yet. He was very young when he was ordained. And he had grown up in that setting and he didn't know the Bible very well. That was the story was that he literally got out the Bible story books and began, he started out by reading the Bible story. And he climbed up and became, by the time I knew him, of course he was an old man by the time I knew him, he was actually a pretty deep speaker. He spoke the word of God with power. He spoke the word of God with, with some finesse. He knew what was in there. So he had grown from from a probably a fairly whippersnapper of a youth to a man of of substance. And so it can happen. It can happen. So are we immune? Are we immune to criticism? Actually the opposite is true. You know that one of the things that I I found as I uh, was ordained, I felt like that that one of the things that brought probably as much peace in the situation as if I just laid myself open to criticism. You know, I was, uh, I was on the phone one day with an elder, and he kind of knew our congregation fairly well. And I forget what the situation was, but he pointed out to me something that I already knew, that, you know, Clint, you're kind of one of the, the bolder, stronger ones there in the ministry. You know, you're the one probably could just, you could probably just get in the driver's seat and drive away. He said, you know, the only way that will work is if you constantly lay yourself open to criticism, lay yourself open to, to rebuke, lay yourself open, you know, just let yourself, you know, have I hurt you, brothers? Is there anything that you're concerned about? Is there anything I'm doing that you don't, you're uncomfortable with? He said, you need to do that very, very, very often. So how do we keep people from despising our youth? By humility. It's not by demanding. But it's, by, it's actually the opposite. The way up is the way down. So often. So often. So conduct. You know, this passage says here, let no man despise thy youth. Be an example. And it says word. We're going to go to that. But I wanted to go to conduct first. We're going to just switch that around just a little bit there in that passage. That is in the 12th verse. Uh, 1 Timothy 4. And word in conversation. That word conversation is a word that we would often translate conduct nowadays. But it, it's a little bigger, slightly bigger than just conduct. It is more, it is more lifestyle. It is more life choices. Um, manner of life, some translations would have it. Just the way you come across in your manner of life. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take you to... Uh, 1 Timothy 3, just turn a page back. In my Bible, it's one page back. And you're going to see there the qualifications of an elder. And I'm sure Leonard already went through it. Alvin's probably went through it. I'm not going to belabor much here. I would just like you to notice that it doesn't say here that the qualification of elder is he has a great prayer life. It doesn't have, you know, he's not filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not got, uh, he doesn't have the gift of healing. He doesn't mention any of those things. If you read the list here in 1 Timothy 3, you see conduct. You see just the way he carries himself. You see a lifestyle. 
That is a lot of what is called for. We could go to other passages and find some of those other things, but the qualification of an elder in First Peter in First Timothy three is primarily about manner of life, conduct. And we can talk about some of those things. You'll notice here the um, that he must you know blameless wife. He's he's given to hospitality. He's not given over to addictions. You know, he's apt to teach, which we'll talk about that a little bit more. That's the one qualification that sets elders apart. Uh, not greedy or filthy lucre. I'd love to spend more time on that. And covetousness. It actually makes two points. You've got greedy and covetousness. There's two different things. One is just wanting money, and the other is people wanting other people's money or other people's stuff. And having a household that's in order and not a novice. Maybe I'll just jump on that just for a moment. I've been thinking about that as... Uh, despising youth, I believe, in talking to Larry and Elvin, it sounds like the, the congregation has settled on the idea that it's probably going to be one of the younger brothers here. And uh, that's, that's good. So what does it mean when it says not a novice? You know, I just, as I've been meditating on that a little bit, uh, you know, it's someone who's not just young, but inexperienced, lack of knowledge, someone who still has lots and lots to learn, which I would say at 52, I feel like I've got a lot to learn. But one of the things that, that I would say, and maybe I'd save this for some general instruction I'd like to give towards the end, is that, you know, there is a difference in, in novices and then there's novices. You know, there is young men who have walked in the Lord a long time, you know, came to the Lord at an early age, walked in wisdom from an early age, been obedient to their parents from an early age, been a help and a benefit and a blessing to the church from an early age. They didn't go through a time of rebellion and, and anger and, and you know, kind of going their own way. But they really have been walking very carefully for a very long time. You know, that would be something I would just caution. You know, there's, there's some that have come from broken homes, messed up homes. You know, you know God bless the people who come from less than ideal circumstances. But often, often, I've seen where someone gets ordained. You know, they've got a good testament. They've got a good story. They have a good way of carrying themselves, but the foundations are wobbly down underneath and they get ordained and we can start naming names. We won't do that. And it just seems like they get the, they get the responsibility, they get some authority, they get some, and then pride starts working. It says overcome with pride there in this passage. And pretty soon off they go and they're just in a, in a bad place. There's just something about that solid foundation that's laid and laid and laid again in wisdom from a young age. And then... That's not a novice. That's what that passage is speaking of is a novice. I would like to just go to the, the first verse just for a moment because this matters too. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I'd love to talk about blameless, but I think we'll just stay right there. Desires the office of a bishop, desires a good work. And there's three things that I would like to make a point of here in the, and just in that phrase years ago i was in a setting where there was we when the songs were sung whoever called the song would lead the song right from the bench and of course every once in a while people like me would say would somebody lead so and so song because i wasn't a song leader and didn't claim to be and there was usually five or six people there that typically could take on that task you know they somebody would just jump in and 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 lead well of those five people there was one there was one that was just simply a terrible, terrible singer. You know, I'm not a good singer, but I don't think I'm terrible. You know, I'm talking about somebody who's actually off-key with himself. 
He was off key with the note he just sang right before. He could not sing, and like they say, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but he thought he was a song leader. And so he often took up that responsibility of leading the songs that were called. And you just sometimes had to guess what tune he was even putting on it. It was just really difficult. And it taught me a lesson. You know, I can say this. Uh, I think, I don't know, I was just telling Larry and Elvin uh, last night, I believe it was, that I, don't, I remember from a very young age, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, somewhere in there, the sense that possibly I would be called to preach someday. I just felt that sense. I wasn't born again. I wasn't even a, a good boy. But there was something in me that sensed that someday God's going to get a hold of me. I just kind of had these thoughts, and then I'm going to have to preach. And I, you know, I was 49 before I was actually called, ordained to preach. I did quite a bit of preaching before that. But the point that I want to make here is that you might sense that. There's probably brothers in this room that's right where I was. But I remember very well, and then that story of this, of this uh, singer was one of the helpers and solidifying in my mind that I am not called until I'm called. You know, I might sense something inside my heart, but until, until the church confirms that, then I'm not called. And I would tell my wife many a times, it doesn't matter what I think. And I really believe that. I wasn't, I wasn't fighting. I wasn't pushing. I wasn't discontent. In fact, by the time it was finally time to ordain me, I was really kind of wishing it wouldn't happen. You know, I was you know, 49. I had kind of a life to live. I was in the midst of, a, of, of establishing a business. My children weren't quite where I, I wanted them to be yet in age. And, and I'm still very busy. And, and I wasn't. I wasn't, uh, that's not what I was after. I told, the, I told the ministers, you know, I just, you know, give me a, give me a sermon about eight, nine times out of a year, and, and I'm satisfied, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But I, if there's someone in this, in this room that senses God's call in your life, God bless you. You know, you just stay in the Word. You stay, you know, you focus on what God has, has called you to. You be faithful with your family, with your wife, with your business, with your reputation, with prayer and fasting and reading the Word and studying the Word. Use, use what God has given to you and be content if the church never calls you. Be absolutely content because it was too often, too often, you know, the elders, be not many masters for, the, for they shall receive the greater damnation. There's a lot of responsibility laid on us. Don't go seeking it. That'd be number one that I would say. Number two is I think one of the reasons why we're uncomfortable with that desire is because we have a wrong understanding of what it means. And you've probably thought about this. But you know, I grew up in a setting where that was just a puzzling verse. Desire of the office of a bishop? You've got to be kidding. I mean, it was culturally, it was just culturally not accepted that you would want it. And even after you had it, you were supposed to always half complain about it. It was always something, well, it's too bad, you know, i got to preach this Sunday, you know, whatever. It was always a negative, negative thing. And I would just like to say that desire, the office, is the desire to serve. It's desire to, to actually do a lot more work than you've ever done before. And it's not a lot of reward in this life, whatever you might think. You know, maybe it feels prestigious to you. But I know sometimes, you know, Paul said in, the, in 2 Corinthians, and by the way, I preached through 2 Corinthians one time. That's, a, that's an interesting book. Because Paul is describing what it's like to be a minister of the gospel. And it was hard. His long descriptions there, and I think the sixth chapter, is just, you know, fastings and 
often and, and perils and, and terrible things are always happening there in the sea. Just read that sometime. It's not always fun. And there's not a lot more prestige to it, even though it maybe looks like from the outside. You're last in the train so often. It's amazing how often people just kind of do their own thing. You know, it's just, it's not a lot of, of glory in it, but there's service in it. And sometimes God calls, lays his hand on someone and says, I want you to serve, to give up an awful lot of your life. You know, while other people are, are making a living and maybe building their businesses and inventing new ways to make more money and spending more time with their families. And, you know, I remember, I, just, you know, I can say all the way back, even before I was ordained, it's just often I would get called right in the middle of supper, right in the middle of a birthday party. And I remember my children saying, well, there goes daddy again. You know, it just, it's part of life as you're just, you know, I, I'm going to miss my daughter's birthday. She reminds me just you know, probably the, uh, just this next birthday she has. You know, it's just the way it works. It's a, it's, you're called to serve. So anybody who desires the office is desiring to serve. Now an impendure person, a person who isn't really clear with God, will sometimes think it's, wow, I'm going to be somebody finally. You know, it's, they're insecure. Somehow this confirms that I am now somebody and I wasn't before. And that's just simply not true. The other thing I might say about that is that it is important. You know, I would say one of the questions that some young man will be asked in the next week, do you have the call on your life? Do you, you know, we can use desire, we can use call, we can use whatever word, but, you know, is this something, is it just out of the box? And we're like, whoa, I never even thought about such a thing. That would be a question. You know, I would like to, I would like it if, if the brother that's called has said, well, yeah, I've sensed that for a long time. That's a really good place, a good place to be. So conduct, we'll just kind of end that. I was, that's kind of in the conduct part of it. I just wanted to go back and show you, but there's that passage I wanted to speak about in the first verse. But conduct is a big passage, and I'm going to speak about it eventually again. But as you, if you're still in the waiting time, you're still not sure what God has asked, you know, to, what voice you're to give, go back through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and read those first five verses there. Conduct. It's an important thing to look at. You know, you can, you can walk the walk. You know, we're, we're called to, to be examples, not just on outside, but on the inside. And maybe one thing else I'll say about the whole conduct thing is that we sometimes have to order our lives according to other people's convictions. I, I find that, you know, Paul said it. He said, well, to the Jew, I became a Jew. You know, he, he shaved his head and took vows because he was, there, and I think you'll find, you know, somebody that struggles with that, ordering their life. You know, you know I, I just bought a pickup just recently. I decided not to buy a new one because I knew that it would be offensive to some of my brothers. You know, it's just there were some tax issues there that I, I needed to buy a new one. I didn't. And there's a lot of that, and that list goes on and on. If you're an elder and a deacon, Earl, you know, there's, there's times you look around and say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's, that, that's, that's not part of what, what's going to be a part of our life because I know of what message that will give to the congregation. You just need to be comfortable with that. It shouldn't bother you. You should be very comfortable. So we're going to jump back to the word word there in the 12th verse. We're going to be there in the 12th for a little while. The next one is be an example in word. If you want to 
not be despised for your youth, young man, young elder, then you need to be an example in word. In word. Yes, words is a lot of what we do. We are behind the pulpit and we say a lot. And it's important. You know, apt to teach is part of being an elder. It's part of our job. is to be able to explain, convince the gainsayer, it says in another place. To be able to, to actually be able to say it in a way that actually is convincing. We need to be good communicators. We need to be an example in word. We need to be clear with our words. We need to be clean. You know, it goes without saying. You'll know, be careful. You know, I, every once in a while you hear someone and it just surprises you what words that comes out of their mouth. You know, just, whoa, I didn't expect that. You know, some of the plain people, it's surprising, especially I'll call the more traditional, darker plain people, it's surprising that they're using the words I think their drivers use. You know, it's just not right. Be clean. Be clear, be clean, be brief. You know, I was, I asked an elder right after I was ordained, I said, well, you know, just anyone, just give me a, a piece of advice. You know, something I need to just know. I think he knew me, maybe that he was speaking to me particularly, I don't know. But he said, you know, just speak less. Speak less. Wow. You know, he said, I get myself in trouble just speaking too much. And it's, there I am. You know, just speak less. So be an example in speech. But stay on message too. If you go back to the seventh verse, you're going to find, refuse profane and old wise fables. And jump over, in my Bible, just right across the page to the fourth verse, no, the fifth verse, of the sixth chapter. So you have old wise fables. And turn over, you know, we're talking about word. And we could go, we could start actually in the second verse and read all the way through to the fifth verse. But I just want to focus just on the fifth verse. Perverse disputings of men. These are things to stay away from. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. No, the fourth verse actually is where I want to go. He's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Where have come envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. Words matter. Words matter. You know, there's, there's a lot of side trackers. Years ago, well, soon after I was ordained, I was learning this lesson. I'm still learning it. But, you know, I got into a conversation with one of the brothers about immun, you know, immunizations. You know, I know, probably, I don't know how it is here, but that's a controversial subject. It shouldn't be, but it is. And I have my opinion, that brother had his, and I realized too late that, wait a minute, I, my opinion is different than his. I'm losing this brother's respect. So now I'm going to stand behind the pulpit, and I've lost credibility. I'm one of those deceived ones, you know. If I'm deceived in the area of immunization, well, how about how to get saved or how to raise a family, you know. It's just stay away from such things. Elders you know, are called just to stay removed. You know, call people back to the gospel, back to, back to, the, back to the foundations. Amen. And just stay away from conspiracy theories and theories about politics and diets, fads. I wrote down some of them. Uh, you know, just the, there's, there's a lot of those things that we, as elders, we can't afford to waste our time there. For one thing, it is a waste of time. Strife about words that gender strife. And the other thing is that you know, sure enough, they're going to disagree with you, and now the, the pulpit is weakened. So be an example in word. Be an example in word. The next one is be an example in charity. 
in charity. That'd be love. Be an example in love. Be an example of, of a loving. What is love? What is, you know, we hear a lot of sermons on love, don't we? And, I, and I'm surprised how often we hear sermons on love. And when it's all said and done, we still have church splits. We still have marriages that don't work out. We have brothers that can barely get along with another brother. We have gossiping. And we, it, despite, despite the fact that we probably, I'm sure you do here too, constantly get messages on love. It's important. Uh, this morning I was reading and uh, I was thinking about servanthood and, and I, went to, I got to think about feet washing. So I went to, the, for, to John 13 where Jesus taught feet washing. And how it begins there, I won't turn to it, but he loved unto the end. He loved, he, he loved his own. I forgot that part. He loved his own, and he loved them to the end. And that surprised me as I was thinking about that. I just read over that passage that that was a characteristic. You know, John's getting ready to start in talking about feet washing, being a servant. This, this, this powerful object lesson that Jesus gave right before he died and what he remembered, what he wanted to write down. It was John writing. You know, I remember Jesus. And what I remember about him is he loved us. He called us his own. He loved his own. So that's one, you know, love means that, you know, and I'm sure that every pastor eventually, we get to know our congregations in ways that you don't know until you're ordained. But you begin to, your heart start getting wrapped around. And pretty soon, the congregation's our own. I mean, we, we really sense that, that we love our congregations. We care about each one. It sorrows us when, when we see people going astray, when all of a sudden they get all bent out of shape and leave, and, and all of a sudden they don't really care anymore. And it's, it's very grieving because you're our own. And it matters. So, but the call to the pastor is to develop that love. It is a miracle. I can say this, you know, I've often, I think it's maybe true, I don't know, but I think I was the most selfish young man that ever got married. And I just, you know, I could tell long stories about just my selfish attitude. And I came to realize where I was at. I began to pray to God that he would give me, not unselfishness, but love. I said, God, I, I need to learn how to love. I'm just, I'm just not there. And it took a while. But God finally did. I remember when I began to be able to cry and weep over those sins. And when, I, when people died, when, when things were broken up, I began to have emotions and feelings for my brothers and sisters in the faith and my family. Ask for it. If it's not there, be an example in love. You know, I was, uh, when I was uh, living in a church setting one time, there was a visiting elder came through and just really enjoyed him. And he stayed at our home, spent some time there, and just really got to enjoy him. He's one of those, you know, people that ever, probably everybody likes him. And, uh, but he had been traveling around in our congregation. He was a visiting elder and traveling around. And one day he came home and sat down on my couch and he said, Glenn, I've been all over. And your name comes up a lot. Oh, okay. He said, your name comes up a lot. He said, you're respected, you're appreciated. But I keep hearing that you intimidate them. You know, I just took that right between the eyes. I mean, it was, I don't want to be intimidated. I want to be loving. I want to be a brother. But he said, you know, you're intimidated. And, but I want to, what I want to get out of that is that he said it in a way that I took it. 
Uh, to this day, I have a high degree of respect for that man that was willing to tell me something that probably was a little hard for him to tell me. And how did he get by with it? I knew he loved me. I know that I could walk up to him and he would smile, remember my name, and be glad to see me. I know he's my friend. You know, I haven't even seen him for several years now. But I know he loves me. And if we're going to be elders, and we're going to have to do some rebuking and some calling out at times, it's important to have that love and be able to portray it. You know, that's important. You know, sometimes we have love in our hearts, but it's not showing very good. We need to, we need to learn to love. You know, if you're going to err as an elder, you will err as an elder. Alvin and Larry, you will. I can't find Larry. I'm not sure where he's at. Hiding. There he is. Sorry about that. <laughs> I keep looking for the white hair, and I'm looking over at Daryl. Uh, so, uh, you're going to err. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes bad. There's going to be times when, you know, you're going to feel pretty, pretty rotten when you go to bed. You wonder if you really did that right. You know, one thing that I have learned, and I'm still learning, is that if I'm going to sleep at night, I, if I err on the side of mercy, you know, maybe I should have been stronger. Maybe I should have been. Maybe someone even say, you should have, you should have really called that one out. But usually, I feel better if I err on the side of mercy, on the side of, of you know, bringing, bringing love and relationship into the situation. So err on the side of mercy. We have uh, several things we need to do as ministers. We need to be available. You know, one of the things I had to do is I had to get a phone that actually worked and I had to carry it with me. Now, that wasn't my style. I used to almost take pride in leaving my phone behind. I did, a lot. I, didn't, I just had a little flip phone and I didn't half the time know where it was at. Well, be available. There's a ministry in availability. There's a ministry in answering that phone, being there when they come home, being there when they stop in at your house. Be a consoler. Love means you're going to be a consoler. You're going to be one who gives people chances. You know, Barnabas was the son of consolation, and he gave chance, another chance, to Mark. And I've often wondered what would have come of Mark if Barnabas had not given that second chance. Be a lover. Be an example. You want to be respected, even in your youth. Be an example of love. Work on it. Think about it. Make it a priority. An example in spirit. If you're going to be respected and appreciated as a youth, youthful elder, you need to be an example in spirit. Well, that took a while to figure out what in the world is Paul saying? Of course we want our elders to be spiritual. We want them to have the spirit. But to be an example of the spirit, what does that even mean? I'm not sure I yet know there's... If you spend time looking up, you know, commentaries, just mean it's the word there is just pneuma. It's the, the standard word we would use for the spirit of God or the spirit of man. It's just the, the word pneuma, spirit. So what does it mean? And as I meditated on that, I realized that there is a spirit, an animation that comes off of our way of being. I was to a house recently and I, I sell windows and so I end up in a lot of people's homes and I walked up to the door and this man met me there. And I just knew right away, this man's different. I, there was a light on his countenance. There was a joy on his face. There was a smile on the way he welcomed me in and the way he introduced his wife and his daughter to me and, and led me into the house. There was something about this man I knew was different. There was a spirit upon him that, that I knew. I didn't know him from Adam, but there he was. 
Well, sure enough, you know, we got our business taken care of out the windows, and so I was kind of fishing. I want to know more about this man. And sure enough, he is a, he is a Hebrew-Greek scholar, loves to study the Bible. That's what he, he just spends hours, teaches Greek and Hebrew on, the, on YouTube, and he's a man that was very dedicated to the study of God's Word and holiness and, and you know, living the Bible. That was just something that really, he was just... You know, I couldn't hardly get away from him because as soon as I got him started, he just wanted to talk about it. You know, with a big smile on his face and he was just so joyful. And that's an aura, a spirit that comes across from our faces. You know, that the opposite of that can also be true. I know a father, it's getting better, but I know a father who the children would say, you know, there they are, they're having a good time, they're playing games and they're maybe singing and maybe doing dishes together or maybe just visiting the living room. Dad comes in the room and it's like, Everything just gets quiet. What's going to happen next? Pretty soon, it's just easy just to walk away. So that's another spirit that we can have. You know, Dad didn't do anything. But we just need to be away from this, this cloud. You know, just a darkness that comes over. So that would be the one, the one thing that spirit might mean is just that aura that comes across, uh, across from, from us. The other thing that maybe... You know, we often use the word in Old English, we talk about a spirited horse. You know, someone with energy and enthusiasm. and Someone that's got spirit, you know, we would, we would say. Uh, don't use that word in that way anymore, but that's uh, in some of the, the uh, commentaries I was reading. That was some of the ways it was viewed as possibly Paul was saying just, you know, Timothy, be enthusiastic. You know, this is not a doldrum gospel. This is, this is the gospel of salvation. Let's, you know, your congregation is going to get discouraged. You know, think about it. these churches are being persecuted. These are having their goods taken away. And so, you know, Timothy, you're going to have to be the one that, that is, brings forth joy and gladness even in hard times. You're going to have to be enthusiastic and, and joyful, happy. You know, as reading about a man one time that was in a village and there was a, he saw that there was a shipwreck out on, the, out on the, the shoals out there, and the storm was raging, and the waves were high. And he noticed that there was fishermen that were kind of wanting to get in their boats and go rescue them, but the waves were so big, and so they was going back and forth. And he didn't know anything about boats, but he had enthusiasm. He had spirit. And he said, come, come. He jumped in a boat himself and said, anybody going with me? Well, sure enough, you know, well, now they had a leader. They had somebody to, to, to get excited about it. Somebody had spirit. Now they could follow, and the fishermen went out and rescued the people that was out on this capsized boat. You know, that's a lot of times what elders have to do. You know, one of the things, you know, the qualification of a leader is those are best hiding their panic. You know, that's often what we have to do. We have to be enthused and excited and happy and joyful and with courageous when everybody else is acting like it's all a bad story. You know, we just have to find courage because that's our job is to lead. And not always, not always easy. So, as you choose out a man to help to shepherd this congregation, look for someone who has got a lot of courage, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of, you know, it doesn't get down very easily. Faith. Faith. Be an example. Timothy. Don't let anybody despise your, your youth by being an example in faith. You know, faith is an interesting thing. I, I know that, you know, I used to tell my congregation, 
that I have the least faith in this room. You know, I, I struggled with faith for many years. And sometimes even just the core faith. But I, I gradually have grown in faith. But I've been challenged by people who have faith. You know, and in our congregation, there's some that, you know, you bring up a hard thing. You know, something might be going on in the country or somebody's sick or somebody just died or somebody, you know, maybe some financial issues. And they're just very quick to say, well, God is in it. Always speaking of the sovereignty of God. Always saying, you know, acknowledge, you know, in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct thy steps. And they're just, just a, always, it's kind of a God-centered way of viewing the world. And it's always been a challenge to me. You know, I'm always, you know, I'm real quick to just start reasoning my way through. Get the checklist, figure out what the wisest step to take. And, and some people just have this faith. You know, they're, they're quick to just point to God. Let's pray about it. So be, be the one that's quick to, to call for prayer. Uh, don't be cynical, you know, be, be faithful about what God can do in your brother. You know, that's, that's probably one of the least, one of the things we dare not be as elders is cynical, you know, I give up on it. He's always that way. Why does he act that way? Every time we have a brother's meeting, does he, he sabotages it again. And I don't think he'll ever change. That's not faith. Faith is that God is in that brother and he, God is going to work. You know, Paul said it to, in one place, he said, God will even show it to you. If you disagree with what I'm saying, I'm paraphrasing here, I can't quite think of where it's at, but, but God will show it to you. God, Paul had faith that God was working. So have faith in what God is, is, is enabling you to do. Be quick to suggest prayer. You know, it says in 1 Timothy 1.12, you turn back a page, I'll just read it here. I thank Christ Jesus who hath enabled me. You know, young man, you're going to be chosen in the next few days. Maybe today, yeah, you'll know. You know, you might be scared. It might look big to you. But you know, it is God who enables. Have faith. Believe God. Don't, don't look to yourself. as You're going to find a, a big old empty hole. But if you have faith in God, God can do it. And one more thing about faith. You must believe that you're saved. You know, and you must believe in the, in the truth of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is, you know, is the, the power of God. You know, it's, it is God's work. We have a, in a little bit in our history, we had an elder that constantly doubted his faith, doubted his salvation. And his ministry was damaged by it. It ultimately ended up out of the ministry. And... You know, to believe in your own salvation, believe that God has saved me, you know, maybe some days you don't feel saved. We don't go by our feelings. You know, some days we feel like a failure. We feel like God isn't even, maybe don't even exist. We don't go by our feelings. John Bunyan said this, I love this. I preached, John Bunyan said, the one that wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, sometimes without hope. Like a man in chains, to men in chains. And when I heard my own fetters rattle, yet I told others that there was deliverance for them and bade them look to their great deliverer. Did you hear that? You know, sometimes we feel like we're in chains. Sometimes we feel like we're, we've got a work that needs to happen in our own hearts. But we need to believe that God can do it in our hearts so that we can be convincing enough to convince our congregation that it can happen in theirs. You know, we don't need to just be there. That's something I'll have to say for myself. You know, if I have to have achieved it or arrived at it before I can preach it, then I wouldn't preach very much. 
But I believe with all my heart that God can do a work in my heart. He will do a work in my life. He will do a work in my family. He will do a work in the church, even if he hasn't yet done it. And now I can speak with faith. And my congregation can come along and believe it too. So be an example in faith, in purity. I see my time is getting away. Purity. Pure from defilement. Pure from defilement, not contaminated, unadulterated, unmixed, pure. Be an example in purity. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. Just no ulterior motives. No, no hidden agendas. You know, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, renounce, he said he, in speaking to, to the Corinthians, he said, renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul said, he's an example of purity, an example of someone who, who doesn't have a second agenda. And he not only is honest before God, he's honest before men. He's you know, providing things honest in the sight of all men. You know, there's, there's a lot we could say about purity. It's important. You know, there's a lot of situations in, our, in the world around us, and in my background, in my history, there was impurity in, in ministry. And it's damaging. You know, they receive the greater condemnation because when, when it's found out that there is impurity, and by the way, a lot of that passage does have largely to do with sexual sins. If you look a little farther up on the, across the page in my Bible, you're going to find in the fifth chapter, second verse, it speaks of handling the young sisters with purity. There is a, there is a need for moral, sexual, bodily purity with our eyes, with our thoughts, with how we handle and how we relate to the opposite sex. Extremely important. You know, lately, a lot of you know Rabbi Zachariah. You know, that's just a sad story. It came out in, in, uh, in the news recently how the, his ministry is basically in shambles today, you know, we don't even know what to believe about what he said in the past because of what came out after he died. It's just a sick and it's a sad story. And we want to be an example to the believers, to not be despised for our youth. We must be an example in purity. There was a church that we would have some contact with here and there, a little bit, a little slightly outside of our circles. They tried to have an ordination. They was at this moment where you're at right now. And they picked a man. And it turned out, when they just done a little examination, found out he was into internet pornography. And now what? I'm not sure how that ended up. I haven't heard yet uh, how that uh, came out. Very sad. In example in purity. Flee youthful lust. You know, in Acts 24, Paul said, he said, I exercise myself. I exercise myself. I, I train for it. To have a conscience void of offense towards God and men. You know, that's straining. That word there is strain like an athlete. Make it a special effort. 
is a battle. Stay in the battle and work at it like an athlete works to train himself for the battle. And that's the end of, of that. I'll abbreviate this a little bit. Those six things we have to be an example in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, 14th verse, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. A parallel passage in 2 Timothy, it says, Wherefore, put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift that is in thee. Stir it up. Stir up. You know, you might have a gift. You know, that's an interesting passage because that's a coal. You know, someone, I hope, in this congregation has a coal. A little, little tiny fire burning inside their bosom. And, and that's fine. That's good. Hopefully the church calls that person. But your job is to stir it up. Fan it into a flame. That's what that word means. To stir up is to enkindle. To blow into flame. What's already there, blow it up so it starts flaming up. In preaching, I wanted, I wanted to talk quite a bit about preaching. I'm just not going to. I'm going to say one thing about it. Be Jesus-centered in your preaching. Very Christ-focused. You know, if your message you're about to preach doesn't have Jesus in there somewhere, you probably need to go back to the books. Go back to the Bible and find out what God really wanted you to speak. Meditate on these things. That means to resolve in your mind. That's the 15th. Revolve around. Just have the Word of God. You know, sometimes I used to like to invent things. I still do, but I don't have time because my mind is full of ministry things. You know, I don't have, I don't have the brain space that some people do, and what little brain space I have is used up in ministry. And so some of what I used to really intrigue me, I don't have the room for it. I don't have the brain capacity for it. I have to, my mind has to meditate on the needs of the church, on the, on the next sermon I need to preach, some, you know, some situation I need to call or talk to, it's, it comes up a lot. Be thinking about it a lot. And don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. You know, that's hard. That's saying a lot for, you know, we unpaid elders. But, you know, we're called to flee. Flee, it says there in uh, love of money. But thou, O man of God, the 6th chapter, 11th verse, right across the page, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. What are you fleeing? That's, you know, we talk about sin. It's actually just talking about money there. Flee it. You don't have time for it. So if you young men, one of you young men thinks you might be called, just remember, it might affect your business pretty drastically. It very well might. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You know, that's a powerful and a noble calling. You know, the pastor's job is, is a huge job. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I think actually uh, one of the ministers that came up before just spoke about it. 2 Corinthians 5 through 6. They're just in the change of the chapter. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, God beseeching you by us, that's our job. We pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled to God. And he goes on to say, we then as workers together, 
with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We are called to save ourselves. Take heed that we may save ourselves and those that hear us. I know there's some people that really struggle with that. You know, that passage just doesn't make sense. You know, well, what do you mean? But God uses, he puts his treasure in earthen vessels. He calls us to, to preach the gospel so that some might be saved. You know, by the foolishness of preaching. It's very, very high calling. And we could talk about humility. We're within five minutes here. I have on my notes I need to be here at 1145 and I'm not. Maybe I'll just tell you some of my thoughts. You know, and I went to Leonard Martin the night before I was, hands were laid on me. I said, I just want you to tell me what you know. Tell me what I need to know. And I think the first words out of his mouth was, he said, when thou wast little in thine own eyes. God could use Saul when he was little in his own eyes. And I've, I haven't forgotten that. Sometimes I do. The humility. Be small. God can use you. Take the blame. One of the most effective men I ever knew in ministry was the one who took the blame. He didn't try to deflect. He didn't try to explain. He didn't try to put the blame over on someone else. He just took the blame. His ministry was extremely effective. Be a listener. Don't just, don't just listen to respond, but listen to understand. Be approachable and vulnerable. It's something I'm still learning. And I can tell you, elders, leaders, future leaders, if you want a culture of confession, a culture of Open confession. Open, you know, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. You want that to be a normal part of church service, a normal part of our gathering together. It has to start in the leaders. If it's not in the leadership, it will not be in the congregation. Be humble. And I wanted to end, I told you it would be just a little past time. I hope that Elvin said it was okay. So I'm going to take just a few minutes. I want to talk about the responsibility of the church to the elders. And I don't have any notes except Bible verses. Because as an elder, it's hard for me to tell you how to treat elders. It's a little easier since you're not my congregation. Eric's are here. I can go ahead and talk with them. They're good friends. But it is hard. It really is. And, you know, Elvin and Larry, I'm sure, struggle to tell the congregation how you're supposed to treat me. You know, it's not a fun thing to have to do. You know, sometimes... You know, I actually preached a message before I was ordained. I preached a message on this. And I said, you know, I can get by with it because I'm one of you. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some verses and comment a little bit. I think there's one, two, three, four, five verses that speak to the congregation's relationship to elders. I beseech you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 16, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit. This is the verse I want you to phrase I want you to get. Ye submit yourselves unto such. Here is a household that is, has addicted themselves to the gospel. They have, their lives are dedicated to ministry. 
You're to submit yourselves to such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth with us. So there is a call on the congregation. You see someone whose life is dedicated to ministry, then there is a call to submit to that. You know, I'm often, you know, I have to say just frankly, this is being pretty honest, maybe more honest than I should be. I'm sometimes shocked, you know, the amount of hours that I know elders spend in the Word. You know, I, I know, I know how they do. I know how I do. You know, most Saturdays I spend all day. Half days if I'm not preaching. Just about every morning. And then sometimes whole weeks at a time if I'm preparing for a series. I spend a lot of time in the Word and prayer. And you know, it's, it shocks me a little bit to have some young whippersnapper that hasn't really prayed about it, hasn't really studied about it, just go head to head against an elder and argue. You know, it's, am I being too clear? You know, we need, there's a, there's a carefulness that needs to happen when we realize, you know, it doesn't put us on a pedestal, but let's submit ourselves to those that have addicted themselves to the gospel. You know, they do need rebuke. Sometimes they are dead wrong. That's true. Let's don't be so quick. You know, let's don't be quite so quick to come against our elders. The next Bible verse here is Hebrews 13. There's two of them. You're familiar with them. Remember. Keep in the front of your mind. That's what that word means. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, the end of their lifestyle. You're to, you're to look. You know, I, you know, I often, when I talk about music or, or clothing or you know, choices that you make in your life, some of the you know, technology, some of those choices that are kind of hot-butt issues in our congregations, we need to look to our leaders. How would they, how would they do? You know, I told my children years ago, you know, if, you know, I named the leaders in our church and there were some of the older brothers. I said, you know, if they won't listen to this music or they won't dress this way, we won't either. You know, consider the end of their conversation. Consider what, what's going on in their lives. And just a little later on in the 17th verse, obey them. I looked up that word and it says just what it says. You know, I thought, well, maybe we need to look and find a different, different word there in the Greek. It's not. It's obey them. They have the rule. And that word rule is just like it sounds too. I was hoping it'd be obey them that are shepherds, obey them that are, you know, leaders or those that are, you know, best servants. Or It doesn't say that. It just actually kind of has, if you look it up, it's, it says, it's, it's like a king. And it's, you know, it's a word I don't like very well myself. You know, I'll just sympathize with you all. I don't like it. But we need to just accept what the Bible teaches. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. They may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And then it says, pray for us. That's another responsibility. Pray for us. We do need it. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly before everybody. First Timothy. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle. And then later it says, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And there's two things there. One, just don't be so quick to just hear a bad story about your elders. You know, check it out at least. Do that. And then financially, you know, I, I think a lot of times it seems like a lot of our elders, I'm not sure what to make of it. Why so often our, our elders are sometimes more some of the wealthier ones in the congregation. You know, I remember uh, 
Brother Robertson saying one time, is that right? Is that, should that be the way it is? We, you know, if we, the only way we can serve in the church is if we are independently wealthy. You know, that's the reason why this passage is there. We need to support those that need some help and support. That's that double honor. Give them respect. And give them money. We beseech you, brethren, to know, to recognize them. This is in 1 Timothy just a few verses later. Then recognize them which labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's honor. To esteem them is to honor them. You know, honor, honor is at the root of any mutually beneficial relationship. You know, I can get my children to obey me. I've done it all my life. But I don't, that's not really what I'm after. And I don't think any father in this room, or mother for that matter, wants just simple obedience. You want honor. You know, you can get obedience without honor. But if you have honor, you have obedience. You have order and structure now. So it says, esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. That's how that verse ends. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, that is very honoring to the, to the elder, but I will say this too. It will bring peace to honor your leadership. And I'm going to end with some practical advice on choosing, and then I'll be done. I have eight things wrote down, and there could have been more. Remember the, the three things that I'm hoping to accomplish in this message. One of them is to just solidify the mind. Just so they're hopefully bring unity. Hopefully in, in, in this teaching, just be a settledness come over your heart when it's time to make your choice today. Not just the person you like the best. Likeability is important. Friendliness is important. It really is. But that's not the main criteria. Godliness, a good family, wisdom. Who is God speaking to you about? Not just preaching ability. That's also important. Not just preaching ability. You know, in the long run, a steady, solid, God-fearing man who loves the congregation, who has a vision for the kingdom of God, who has walked the walk for a long time and shows every sign of continuing to walk all the way till the Lord comes again, that is far more important, really, for our congregation's overall health than good preaching in the long run. Be careful about ordaining a deacon to an elder's place or an elder to a deacon's place. You know, sometimes you've got a good deacon coming on. Good. Praise God for it. Does he have the apt to teach? Is he an elder? You know, is he, is he a strong leader? You know, there's a church right now in South Dakota. I guess it probably tells you who I'm thinking of right now. You know, a deacon's been trying to lead and it's not working very well. He's a good deacon, a wonderful deacon, a good man. But it's not working. You, don't have the, you just don't have the strength of, of just whatever it is that elders need to have to, to make the decisions and walk forward and have a vision, have a direction. You know, I, when I was ordained, you know, a lot of people thought that Glenn Overholzer probably ought to be. He's a man of substance. He really is. He's a man of integrity. He's a man that we all appreciate in just many, many ways. And he's, you know, I don't know if gospel light would even exist today if it wasn't for Glenn. He's a, he's a man that we all appreciate. 
But you know, if you know the man deeply, you find out that, you know, it would be a waste of a really good deacon to make an elder out of it. And somebody said one time in, in this conference, while this was being talked about, he said, you know, Glenn is the textbook definition of a deacon. And he is. You know, just be careful not to ordain a, a deacon for an elder. You know, this is something you, know, you might be still wavering between two. And I would say this, look at the wife. That, that really does matter. You know, it's just the way it works in our congregation as far as I know pretty much all of them. You know, often they become the counselor. I wasn't very long after I was ordained. You know, there was a couple of young sisters that, that wanted to come talk to my wife. And some of those relationships are still going on, ongoing, uh, you know, mentoring. You know, so the wife ends up being a big factor in this. Um, they have to, you know, if it's a clingy wife or an insecure wife or a wife that can't stand to be alone, you know, Lovin was just saying how often he has to go by himself, and it does. It happens a lot. The wife has to be able to kind of carry on, you know, you know keep the children in order, and keep, even sometimes the business has to go on while the elder is out doing elder work. And so the wife ends up being a huge, I don't even know, we could talk for hours on that. Uh, that's so important, but I need to keep moving on. Don't try to balance your existing ministry. You know, if you want a church split to come up real soon, find somebody that's just going to stay on the other end of the teeter-totter with Larry and Elvin and Earl. You know, yeah, they're this away. So we need to put somebody in over here to kind of, kind of balance that out a little bit. You need someone, honestly you do. If you want a secure and safe place to raise your children, a home environment, a church environment to raise your children, you need a man who can work well with your existing ministry. Think about that. That matters. It's important. Maybe I'll just end with, you know, some of these things are redundant and I've already said it in other, in other contexts. I'm just going to end with 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Maybe this is for you scared ones that think maybe you're going to end up with this task. The elders which are among you, I exhort, Peter says, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. There is he had faith. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. There, some of these phrases are coming back. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away.